0: Hello and welcome back to a new season of Author Conversations presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster, and today I'm excited to talk to the author of *The Gettysburg's Lost Love Story, Jeffrey Harding. Union General John Reynolds was one of the most beloved and respected military leaders of the Civil War. Yet beyond the battlefield, the captivating true story of his secret romance with Catherine Kate Mary Hewitt remains etched into his legacy. Clandestinely engaged before John marched off to war, The couple's love remained a secret. Kate made a poignant last promise, a commitment to enter into a religious life if her beloved were to be killed. And tragically, Reynolds lost his life leading troops into action during the opening phases of the Battle of Gettysburg. Within days, Kate was embraced by the Reynolds family and soon began to honor her promise of a religious life. Yet a few years later, she seemed to disappear. Author Jeffrey J. Hardin unveils new findings on Kate's life beyond and after John's death as he recounts Gettysburg's saga of star-crossed love. Jeffrey J. Harden currently works as a licensed battlefield guide at Gettysburg National Military Park, a freelance historian, a leadership consultant, and a motivational speaker. Over the past decade, Jeff has joined with numerous others in a number of sleuthing efforts to resolve mysteries of historical significance. Jeff's accounts of these endeavors and his analysis of additional historical subject matter have graced the pages of noted publications such as Civil War Times, Naval History Magazine, Gettysburg Magazine, The Washington Times, and The Gettysburg Experience. Jeff has conducted numerous interviews for podcasts and major media, and he delivered a keynote speech about Admiral Nimitz during a special event held on the Battleship Missouri Memorial commemorating the 68th anniversary of the end of World War II. Join me and Jeffrey as we spend the first half of the podcast getting to know General Reynolds, the man Kate fell in love with, and then we learn about Kate and the fate of their relationship. Jeffrey, thanks for joining me.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I really appreciate the invitation.
0: Yes, sir. Now, Jeff, let's talk about you for a second. When I found out you were a licensed battlefield guide, I got excited. And uh, guys at Gettysburg, they know their stuff and there's a reason for that. Because it's not easy to become a guide there. You have to be dedicated. Can you walk us through that? Yeah. Walk us through that process.
1: Well, you know, it's evolved over the years. Uh, Johnny, when I took my guide exam in 1997, uh, the way it worked is that, uh, you know, they put out a word that they're going to be given a guide exam. And if you want to take it, you sign up. There was a fee at the time. It's increased over the years to the point where it's kind of substantial these days. But uh, anyway, that was reasonable enough. I said, well, let me take this thing. I took it and uh, was fortunate enough to to do well on it. But about 180 people took the guide exam with me. And what they do is they rank it in order of your scores. And uh, they don't necessarily bring you in as a guide right away, no matter how well you do. They just wait until they need to bring some guides in to the force. So that means somebody's retiring, someone's unfortunately passed away, what have you. Uh, they're going to need a guide or two any given year. So when I took the guide exam, 180 people, I think they bought five of the, the guide, the top five scores in the first year. And then they begin to work their way through it. Um, well, what happens is when they bring you in, then you're going to take uh, before you're officially a guide, you've got to take an oral exam. So you've taken this written exam. It's a full day uh, examination process, uh, you know, multiple choice, fill in the blank, a, a number of essays, et cetera. Then uh, you get the call, come on in, we want to do the oral exam. Well, that's all fine and well if you're coming off just taking the, the test, then you got all your facts in front of you, and they're foremost in your mind, and you probably envisioned and practiced your oral exam, so you're good to go. You go take your oral exam, and if you pass it, and, and what happens is a guide will get in the car with you and a park ranger. And, you know, they're a guide and, you know, they're a park ranger, but they assume the roles of visitors and they might say, oh, we're from Michigan, you know. So they want you to give a a pretty generic tour at this point, which is just the opposite of the written exam, right? Written exam, you have to know everything to the nth degree, whether it's Gettysburg, any other battles, socioeconomic issues, you name it, you better know it. Um, You get in a car with somebody, the average visitors at Gettysburg aren't looking for that level of detail normally. Mm -hmm. And so um, you want to give a pretty generic tour. And don't make anything up. If someone asking you, you don't know the answer, you, you're going to get back to them. You know, you offer that uh, as um, an alternative to having the answer if you don't have it. But anyway, uh, if you flunk that oral exam, you get one more chance at it. And if you flunk second time then you're back to the beginning of the line you have to take the written exam again go through the whole process so you don't want to you don't want to miss out when you get your chance to take your oral yeah. well what happened with me i think my score was the 17th best score something along those lines johnny it's been a number of years now but uh, anyway I, I had to wait three years to take an oral exam you know they brought five guys in make sure they bought a handful in and finally get around to me and you get a call about a month ahead of time. Hey, we want you to come up and do your oral exam. So you better have been staying on your game because you never know when you're going to get that call. And, uh, I went up and did the oral exam and uh, fortunately fared pretty well on it. And, and I was in and never looked back. It's been a pleasure. I remember, you know, my first tour, like it was yesterday Had uh, a couple, uh, and their daughter, they were from Hawaii of all places, started with the fifties state. Right. And, um, <laughs> They had a great time i'm still in touch with those folks and uh, i was even able to show them some things on the battlefield that pertain to uh, the place they lived which was i think from their point of view quite unexpected Uh, one of the uh, regimental commanders there at gettysburg was born and raised on the island of maui Uh, samuel chapman armstrong he's a significant individual uh, in the history of um, the freeing of the slaves and uh, was a staunch abolitionist and uh, they give an award out at Punahou school in hawaii as i understand it uh, to this day in his name there's a plaque up in the school there samuel chapman armstrong so anyway it's always nice to tie it in for folks when you get people in the battlefield no matter where they're from and you get them from everywhere all across the globe and uh, if you can tie something to their uh, to their lives or their experiences it, it makes it that much more meaningful
0: wow that is Got, yeah, the whole when you said Michigan, I immediately thought maybe you were going to go like the Wolverine route too. You know, <laughs> and then like you <laughs> asked him why, I was like, how is he going to do that? Wasn't absolutely
1: s- well. Yes, when you know when I did my oral, of course I'm talking a lot about uh, the Michigan boys. I get out there with the Iron Brigade, mm-hmm. 24th Michigan, and uh, they're extremely significant, as you well know. I'm sure Johnny, your student history uh on the first day's battlefield but you get over to the little round top and there's the 16th and then of course custer's out there on the uh the cavalry battle uh on the third day so you got enough things that you can bring in and, and you know all this stuff but you know you usually try to go even beyond that uh, yeah. there's little things that people appreciate there's parts of the battlefield where maybe you're uh, crossing from one side of the field to another behind the lines the way the soldiers would have traversed and uh um, that's a chance to talk about the resource guiseberg uh, yourself, how many acres what type of wildlife and and maybe you happen to know what uh, the state bird is wherever they're from you got marylanders you're going to talk about the Bonne Oriole. yeah we we see those around here now and then so little things like that make a big difference with people and makes them feel welcome and and it, as a guide you love history you have to start with that but well you better love people too yeah because that's what you're really doing you're trying to trying to bring that battle alive uh, johnny it's amazing uh, most of the time when i start a tour I start with a a quote from Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. And the quote I use is this one. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. And I point out the irony in that is that we've remembered Lincoln's words. It might have surprised him. I'm sure it would have pleased him. But unfortunately, a lot of folks have forgotten what what they did here, so to speak. And, And I think that's because the sheer numbers of it. If you look at the Battle of Gettysburg, and uh, there's 163,000 troops, uh, 51,000 casualties, which is killed, wounded, missing in action, and if we had a battle that big today, Johnny, you know, comparative, you know, if you wanted to relate to it, uh, we'd need over a million and a half people. There would be 100,000 people killed in a three-day period. I mean, that's how significant one. Uh, and and some of this, there's a there's a great book by Tom Jardin, Uh historian that wrote a lot about the 20th Maine, but he talks about um, these things on relative terms and points out that one out of every 200 people alive in the United States in July of 1863 was at Gettysburg for that battle. So, you know, those are mind numbing numbers. But considering that, then how could we have forgotten it? And I think we forget it because people, numbers don't do it for you. Uh, What does it for you? is the stories. Yeah. And so you always have to bring the stories in to give people something to remember when they leave the battlefield. And and that's where the story of John and Kate comes in. The first stop on on the normal battlefield tour in Gettysburg, stop one, is you're out on the first day's battlefield where, unfortunately, Reynolds met his demise. And so you have an opportunity right away to uh, to, to relate to the people, something that will help them. Remember, remember the battle. And one of the folks that was kind enough to to write a blurb for the front of the book, uh, I think he, he did a great job. And he brought a quote uh, out that that I really love is Rudyard Kipling, and he says, "If history were taught in the form of stories, uh, would never they've never history would never be forgotten." And uh, I think that's the bottom line, you know. So you, you don't want to make anything up. That's far from, it. you know, as guides, we pride ourselves in in, uh, in um, providing the facts. But we have to put them in um, a package that allows people to uh, well. That's to what history remember. is,
0: a, is a true story with dates. It's Yeah,
1: that's exactly right. Whether it's your, your history, your own personal history, or, or the
0: history of the nation, you're exactly right. Well, that was Wayne Motz you were talking about.
1: Uh, Wayne Motz, yeah. well, you know, Wayne... This was actually, um, Ambassador Larry Taylor. He oh, okay. uh, yeah. start, started a leadership program up in Gettysburg and, and he was very kind in that regard. But Wayne, my good friend, Wayne, uh, one of my mentors actually when I was, uh, in the process of trying to become a guide and he was very generous. I got to know him and we've been friends for, uh, probably 25 years now. And I've, I've been very proud to see Wayne rise from just the guide ranks right on up through, uh, his newest position, which is, is really about the most prestigious position you could have related to Gettysburg Absolutely. president and CEO of the Gettysburg foundation. But he was kind enough to write the forward for my book, something that, uh, to my knowledge, knowledge, I don't know that he's ever written the forward for anyone else, but I was just extremely uh, blessed to have him do so. So,
0: and if, yeah, and him. our listeners probably know who he is because I reference the American battlefield trust videos on the podcast. When I talk about civil war history, He's mm-hmm. on a lot of those, especially when they're doing anniversary walks around Gettysburg. He's oh, yes. on those a lot with Gary yeah. Alderman and all of them. So, yeah, yeah. you've seen those. Yeah. You've seen Wayne Motts.
1: Exactly. And Wayne, you know, of course, he was up at uh, Harrisburg National Museum Civil War, and he mm-hmm. did a lot in in that regard, too, for for his own group. But you see a ton of his stuff out there. And he was kind enough when when we got going on this, he was really the first person I called to start sharing information when we found Kate Hewitt's, um, true fate. And I was sharing these things with Wayne as we went along and he was just, <laughs> just couldn't believe it because it, as you will see, anyone that reads the book will see why this is especially meaningful to Wayne and I won't spoil it, Mm-mm. but uh, it was. And so we did a, uh, did a video for the museum when we first uh, started going down this road and revealing our findings back in August of 2020. And uh, yeah, he's been involved. He and Gary Edelman, of course, with the trust to do some amazing work out there.
0: One hundred percent. And you've already mentioned it's it's stop number one on the tour and it's, you know, talk number one in the book. Um, Reynolds death. And, you know, when he comes to Gettysburg, he's he's given a lot of responsibility to by Meade when he's approaching the battlefield. Also, um, he's got a lot on his shoulders. He's not just, you know, a, he, he's not just, you know, a, a general who's commanding troops there. Yeah, he's going to see, too, if Gettysburg's a good spot, right, to fight this battle, in a way. Yeah, yeah. And, you know,
1: Gettysburg has its controversies uh, that people are still arguing about. Um, Of course, there's probably none bigger than the whole Sickles controversy on Day (laughs) 2 and the Peach Orchard, And, you know, we're always arguing about that. It makes it fun. Um, But... um, there is some, you know, that will say, in fact, there's a great book out there now on Mead that was uh, just uh, published recently, Mead of Gettysburg by Kent Masterson Brown. And he takes one position and then others will say that uh, Reynolds was doing exactly what he she should be doing at the time. So you kind of got to delve into yourself yeah. and form your own opinion. Uh, for me, I think what stands out the most is uh, at Gettysburg, I'm sure he's got the best interests of the army yeah. and nation. Uh, foremost in his mind, but also playing into his thought process on how could it not his family's, you know, 55 miles away in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, That's where he was born and raised. And of course, he's got family in Philadelphia, uh, where they had moved to, but this, this is his home state. This is, uh, is especially meaningful to him. So someone said to me one time, well, Ike wasn't on the beach at Normandy. And I said, well, he wasn't wasn't necessarily uh, defending Kansas. I mean, he was in a greater sense, but (laughs) you know, Reynolds is going to be where he's going to be that day, I think. And and for my money, he's made the right decision.
0: Well, where's the Confederate Army? You know, (laughs) I mean. Yeah,
1: you know, you got to get in their way. And, And the thought was that you fall back to the Pipe Creek line and again, a case can be made for that. I'm taken away from that, certainly. But um, I think uh, at some point you have to assess it at face value. And when Reynolds got there, how did he do when he got there? And he certainly uh, began to spread his men out in a very effective way to uh, blunt the Confederate attack. His goal was to, to keep him from taking the town. He said he'd fight them inch by inch, you know, and, and, and they were doing that. Uh, should he been right out in front with the troops? Maybe, maybe not. But if you if you read the book, uh, if, if the listeners read, they're going to see where, in many ways, Reynolds was fortunate to still be alive by Gettysburg, uh, whether you go back to his time uh, in the Mexican War uh, with the Third Artillery or whether you go to the early portion of the Civil War in the Seven Days, uh, Second Manassas, there are there are moments where he could have easily been struck down by an enemy bullet. And, um, the fact that he wasn't is almost miraculous. And some of the soldiers commented on it. Similarly, there are times, uh, during the the peace time activities where Reynolds is uh, going from duty station, to duty station, where he could have easily died. There's there's an incident out in, um, in Oregon, when he's coming across, uh, coming into Columbia
0: uh, River, take yeah, up
1: a, yeah, Columbia River, and and uh, in a very dangerous situation, and the ship almost sunk, and uh, he could have died there. He could have died when the third artillery was moving men uh, out to the west coast, and he had been on leave. And, and he missed that and brand new ship, pride of the fleet, the SS San Francisco is moving a lot of members of third artillery and that thing uh, sinks off the coast. Uh, yeah, I noticed um, both
0: ships that had issues were named after places in California. And I just thought maybe the third artillery should stay off of those type of vessels. It seemed like that wasn't
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you think of it, the traveling, when you read and, and there's some great accounts of That people have left behind of of what it was like to travel in those days. Nobody would go, you know, everybody, nobody wants to go anywhere now because of COVID or you got to wear a mask on the plane, this, that, and the other. I think that would have been the least of these people's worries. Or how about having (laughs) to stop
0: halfway across the country because you have to winter somewhere for a few months?
1: Right. Exactly, and Reynolds had to do that on on a couple occasions, and um, I'm sure that uh,
0: you talk about being art- everywhere. I mean, you, you know, you talked about Mexico. That's the Battle of. Uh, that's one of my questions too, because I mean, we can talk about. It's almost like a movie when you talk about this, you can go back in his life and look about him being everywhere at once. Because in, in the Mexican War, you know, he that's he's in the army for a while at this time, but that's when he first, you know it's called seeing the elephant during that time period. That's where he first yeah. sees battle and he, he's seen it, you know, in a city, you know, where it's almost like street fighting. Like you'd, maybe you would see like in a Fredericksburg or something. He's dragged He chooses to go into the artillery after West point. So he's dragging cannon street by street. But here at Buena Vista, they're outnumbered by the famous general Santa Ana of the Alamo. Right. Who's right. come and the American army, they're outnumbered, but they have position. And he is taking his artillery from place to place. And you said that he was basically everywhere on the battlefield, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And it's it's not easy to follow. Let me tell you, I've read a number of accounts of of this. But, yeah, he's everywhere he can be, and then some. And, and right at the end, he's in the middle of the line, you know. And, and his former commander, Bragg, had taken over uh, for another group, but he's he's— Earns his, his name down there. Bragg really does, you know. But uh, I got to tell you, Reynolds was right there, right there. And it's amazing because it starts at Fort Brown. Uh, which today, of course, Brownsville, Texas is named for the individual that fell um, there. But uh, Reynolds is in that when the the fort is under siege and says, man, he didn't want to see anything like this again in his life. That's the worst thing he'd ever seen. And the next thing you know, uh, now he's writing uh, sometime later about the Battle of Monterey, where they're in the city, like you said, and it's urban warfare and it's the last place you want to be with horse-drawn artillery <laughs> even though they call it the flying artillery it wasn't flying <laughs> too well uh and they're having to lift these guns and everything else to get out of harm's way and then of course the classic battle you know buena vista which there's a great quote um and i don't have it here in front of me but reynolds is commenting on uh, Santa Ana's troops as he looks across the field and i read that to a few historians that didn't know what I was working on and I said, how about this quote? And they knew knew me from Gettysburg, you know. They said, Oh, they're talking about biggest charge, right? <laughs> <You> know,
0: <laughs> this is Reynolds
1: talking about Plata Vista. And, yeah. And I mean just so uh, it's amazing when you read all that. But yeah, he's quite a quite a background.
0: And it's amazing uh, when you brought that quote too, because you hear you hear at Fredericksburg Confederates saying that. About the, you know, all, oh. quotes almost like that. And you also, you, you see that out west, too, at Shiloh, um, yep. the Union soldiers saying that. It's amazing how time and time again that comes up, quotes yeah. similar to I that. I
1: mean, that that picture that imprinted on their brains, they didn't forget. I mean, you know, where else are you going to see that in life, right? Yeah, you know, The grandeur of it is not lost on them. Um, and uh, unfortunately, what comes afterwards is is the part that uh, that they can't shake either. I guess you we know, should let the guy.
0: audience know we're talking about troops in battle formations, perfect lines, banners flying, officers leading. Uh, as they're talking about, like, it's almost as if they're on a parade instead of going into battle.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. One soldier at Gettysburg, looking Union soldier looking across at the Confederates, arrayed for battle said. Beautiful, gloriously beautiful, did that vast array appear in the lovely little valley? <laughs> and I always tell people it wouldn't be beautiful for very long. No. It wasn't, yeah. But uh, you're right. You're right. They don't. They and don't it, forget that.
0: But the thing about the Battle of Buena Vista, I didn't know that you, and I didn't know a lot of know a lot about it. That really stuck out to me that you shared in the book was the rainbow, and just the you know. Oh you, yeah. you think about, about that, as like something of beauty, and then you have all this death beneath it. You know, it's.
1: Oh, it's just amazing. And um, actually, uh, it was funny you mentioned that because there was a similar uh, circumstance at Fredericksburg. And you probably read this before the Aurora Borealis. Yeah. And, uh, I had uh, thought to and actually had included that. But what happens is, you know, when you're writing a book and, and there's a word count, <laughs> you're always fighting with what's going to stay and what's not and um but there are some amazing quotes from the soldiers who witnessed that right after the battle and they're laying there on the field and it's just you, you have to uh when you read these you kind of close your eyes afterwards and put try to put yourself in that mindset it's just just really um you know something to behold uh, so the the first hand accounts make it and uh, it's so nice you know uh, johnny i don't, I don't know if anybody told you, but when I first started out on this, I kind of backed into it. Um, I had a few projects going, um, but I've been working on a book that uh, covers Navy connections to the Battle of Gettysburg. Hmm. And um, one of the best connections, and you know, there's of course the Cushings, uh, there's a great uh, connection between Alonzo Cushing uh, at Gettysburg, you know, he's quite heroic there uh, to say the least. And his brother, William Barker Cushing's arguably the greatest naval hero of the Civil War. Uh, that's what Admiral Farragut said. And wow. uh, that's good enough for me. <laughs> and if you would go to the Naval Academy and go in Bancroft Hall, uh, within Bancroft Hall's Memorial Hall, and uh, there's a plaque uh, there that has all the uh, Medal of Honor recipients uh, from the Naval Academy. And right above it is William Barker Cushing's um, picture. So that's how much they think of him there. But uh, anyway, I was working on the Reynolds brothers. John Reynolds has, has a brother, William, who's uh, in the Navy. Uh, quite a story uh, in and of himself. But uh, as I began to work on that chapter, I said, well, let me go back to this part about John and Kate Hewitt. And, and uh, I knew the, the story, of course, but uh, I said, wow, when you start looking around on what's out there, you realize that uh, there's a lot of this that's confused, uh, some misinformation, and a lot of question marks. And so what was going to be a sidebar in the chapter (laughs) became a book. And uh, it really started uh, from that point. The focus was on Kate. Let's find out what happened to this young lady. Um, There had been some belief that she was, uh, uh, her fate had been determined uh, a little uh, earlier um by some other researchers but some other information had come to the fore that that led us down a different path and well, sure enough we found out uh, her ultimate fate and well,
0: before we so do the that it was going to be a
1: biography on Kate but uh you can't have half the story,
0: no. and uh,
1: I think you needed to, uh, to have the, the perspective of John. If you're going to talk with John and Kate, you need to know his career.
0: Yeah, and speaking of his career, I mean, it, it seemed like from his early age, he seemed to be a person destined to be remembered. So I mean, we kind of talked already, but he had duty stations before, which I was excited to see that he was at Fort Moultrie here in Charleston. You talked about being at oh, Solomon's yeah. Island earlier before we started mm-hmm. recording the podcast along with Sherman, you know, and of course we know Doubleday was here, you know, during the firing on Sumter with Major Anderson. So that's all cool to, you know, know that history here, but he was here, you know, Fort Moultrie for a while. Then of course, you know, Mexico, and he has all these different appointments out West where he eventually will be um, meeting Kate, which we'll get to that in a second, but he has this air of destiny about him that you could say, but, just so we get to know him a little bit better. Um, and it's neat because he gets to be known when you see who he's interacting with. Like you mentioned Bragg earlier, he goes to school, he's a classmate with Sherman. Um, he's going to serve with all these other, you know, generals that were in and officers. We're going to know during the civil war. It was fun. You mentioned Custer earlier because right before the civil war, he probably disciplines Custer at West point, you know, cause Custer was a character. Um, exactly. Um, yes. So when you said that, when I found out that he was at West Point, I was like, I, okay, this time period, I know who's at West Point right now, along with Pelham, and, you know, these, you know, uh, Ramsar and Ross, you know, I'm like, I know who he probably going to have run in with here. So then I yeah. saw that he did not, he probably, you know, probably did discipline him and hold him up from graduating. I was like, yes, okay, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> um, so, but those, well, I want you to kind of let us know is what type of man do we know he was from yeah. those who are around him, his, his senior officers, his junior officers, his professors, his sisters? What did they say about him?
1: Yeah, you, you, get, you get some consistency there, certainly across the board, whether it's family, colleagues, what have you, in terms of, of Reynolds being an honorable man. Um, he's uh, well regarded by many. And uh, there's a little portion in the book I talk about one of the soldiers who uh, they're just on the march and they're getting ready to go and bivouac, you know, throw their tents up for the night. And, and Reynolds has an idea where they ought to be going. And, uh, and instead of being real harsh in his treatment of this, uh, you know, fairly green officer, hadn't been in command too long, uh, who was about to pick one spot and and I don't think Reynolds thought that was the best area. He gives him sort of a gentle, you know, nudge and maybe we ought to be looking at. And the guy was just blown away because, you know, Reynolds could have pulled rank. Yeah. You know, had this air of authority and that wasn't Reynolds. You know, Reynolds in the heat of battle, he's given orders and, you know, he's inspirational too. But uh, when he knows how to handle the situation depending on the situation. And so he uses it accordingly. It's great with his family. Looks out for his uh, family and all his letters are heartfelt passages that, you know, really just catch the eye. And especially with regard to his uh, youngest sisters Um, in in terms of every aspect of the care, even the financial, uh, making sure in communicating with his brothers that the will is handled. Uh, It's it's a little slow process for for his liking. And he wants to make sure the sisters are taking care of uh, the the will of his son. Of his father, of course. Um, so, this is uh, a, really a hallmark of Reynolds. And, and there's no greater example, really, when he's military governor, uh, excuse mm-hmm. me, uh, in command of uh, Fredericksburg. Um, Fredericksburg, early in the war, uh, you know, and it, it's not that long of a stretch, but he's there for a number of weeks. And you got to remember, this is a, probably the last war where chivalry uh in one way shape form or another plays a role it changes by the end of the war of course what sherman does and in other places the valley etc uh the south's going to feel the war but early on there's an inclination to treat the civilians uh with a due uh bit of uh, respect. And so even though from a military perspective, he kind of clamps down Fredericksburg, no passes, crossing the Rappahannock, etc. Uh, he treats the people fairly, and they never forgot that. And uh, later in 62, when he's captured, there's a group of the uh, the folks from Fredericksburg, a the mayor, uh, they sign a letter uh, together that makes an appeal uh, to the Confederate government to uh, give Reynolds a parole, yeah. get him out of out,
0: which is almost know. unheard of to for oh, something yeah. like that to happen. I mean, it just tells you he's a, he's a man who is in a position of authority, but he also knows how to show compassion, which yeah. is something we yeah. can all learn from.
1: Oh, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's for sure. And he does. And, um, I really think, I mean, if you dig, you can find some instances, uh, where he had some run-ins with, uh, when he's, um, Um, Not at Antietam. You know, they bring him back to Pennsylvania with uh, Mm -hmm. Lee's Army moving north in uh, summer, early fall 62. They're basically going to bring Reynolds up to Pennsylvania to look out for the state. Uh, Governor Curtin recalls him, and he's not happy about that. But uh, there's some run-ins with some uh, some folks up there uh, that are serving under him. But uh, nobody's perfect, and, and I'm not defending that portion of his life. I'm just saying that he's human. And uh, so you find uh, a great preponderance of evidence where he does treat people fairly uh, and with regard and certainly his fellow officers uh, felt that way about him. And, and guys on the other side, like you said, he's, a, he's up at West Point with uh, with Sherman and they become great friends. And that stems from not only their time at West Point, but when they're on duty together in Charleston. They used to hunt together, and Sherman gets hurt on one of their expeditions, and Reynolds takes care of him, sees to it that he's taken care of and brought back safely. Um, But anyways, uh, yeah, you you see that with Reynolds, and I think that's what leads into this this whole story Mm -hmm. with Kate being kind of the quintessential— War love story, if you will. Yeah. You know, you think of these movies you've seen, uh, Wins of War with uh, Herman Wuke's story and the North and South, you know, and, and these were novels, John Jakes and everything. But this, uh, this is a true story. This is the and, guy she falls uh, in
0: love with, the knight in yeah. shining armor.
1: Yes, exactly. Now, exactly. who's I, was I, I would fathom that, uh, I can't fathom that she did not see him as such. She has to see
0: him that way. And who is she? Who is Kate? Now that we've talked who about John, Kate? I know we don't know as much about her, but her 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 growing she didn't grow up with a family like John did.
1: No, no, Kate's an orphan, and and of course, no one knows about Kate. And uh, and probably you know, with the book, we open up with John at Gettysburg and and what happens to him there. And I think with Kate, a good way to introduce her is is that chapter on John because. When he falls at Gettysburg, uh, it's interesting because, in examining his remains, uh, his West Point ring is nowhere to be found. His class ring. Uh, meanwhile, he's got a ring on his finger—that uh, small gold ring on it, on his pinky—that uh, when you read the inscription, it says "Dear Kate" inside the ring. And uh, everybody's pretty pretty well perplexed by this. And uh, he's also found to be wearing a, a on a silken cord. Uh, two two items, uh, a heart and a cross. And uh, that's confusing to folks as well. Uh, and fortunately, a few days later, uh, the remains are brought back to uh, the family, uh, sister's home in Philadelphia. Kate Hewitt shows up. She wants to grieve over the remains, and she introduced herself. and And so your question was the family's question. Who is Kate? And she begins to unfold the story for the family that uh, they met on a ship uh, coming from San Francisco back to the East Coast. When John has now got orders, he's commandant at uh, his alma mater. He's going to West Point. And Kate is uh, beginning life anew. She's coming back to the East Coast. uh, It appears with the goal in mind to uh, seek redemption. She uh, is going to make her way to Eden Hall. Uh, Society of the Sacred Heart School in Philadelphia to begin the process to convert to Catholicism. She had an interesting past. Starts as an orphan up in uh, New York. She's born in Owego, New York, not Oswego. That was one of the things I saw out there that uh, was some confusion over where she's born. But we know now for certain it was Owego. Uh, She had mentioned to John's family a brother who she was, Pretty much estranged with, um, and no one had ever found the brother. Uh, fortunately, working with my associate, I need to mention her name, Mary Pitkin. Mary Pitkin is, uh, for my money, the greatest genealogist out there, and uh, she worked hard on this project with me, uh, trying to find out about Kate. And um, and we know from from her work and and what I was able to contribute, we found some primary source documentation to identify. Kate's brother, as a resident of Owego. There's a, a poignant note local press how he had returned from his her funeral when she passed away. Um, and so uh, he's a postmaster there, actually, in Owego for a time in his life. But Kate's from Owego. A small town, not far from the Pennsylvania border, uh, you know, amazingly, right on the same longitudinal line as Lancaster, where John Reynolds is from. Yeah. Uh, but uh, she has tough life, and it's tough to track her. Tough to track her to find her parents. She provides their names a couple of times during her life, and what have you. But uh, she ends up heading to California, and uh, all indications are she's going out to to be a governess for a well-to-do family. But uh, no one knows for sure how, what happened, happened, but uh, she goes astray, I guess is the best way to put it, and leads, uh, maybe we'll put it in quotes, colorful life, um, and uh, ultimately realizes that she needs to change her ways, and uh, that's why she boards a ship, July 21st, 1860, the same ship, uh, the Golden Age, that John Reynolds is And I will
0: say, excuse me. I will say that you know I don't want to give it away because we want people to read the book. Right. But she is well known because she gets written about and that's kind of what led to you to you knowing it's her too, you know. Oh uh, yeah. She yeah. gets she's well known on the book uh, on the uh on the ship. She's yes. written about um by a reporter and we don't want to give that part away but she has some notoriety about her.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Today, you know, if you're watching the news, it'd be a bombshell. Yeah. In fact, that was Mary's words to me when she found an article that uh, firsthand account of uh, Kate on the vessel with John and uh, reporter goes into great length about who she she is. And and um, I tell you, um, Johnny, we're, we're truly blessed to have so many things available online. Um, and one of the great things that are out there are these newspapers today multiple websites but the information you can find uh it just blows your way it's it's really what makes the difference and and i say all the time and there's a part in my acknowledgments, i mean some people have worked on this before this story of kate and um uh, And uh, really, my work and uh, what Mary contributed, we stand on the shoulders of those that have come before us in that regard. I mean, Edward Nichols' biography of Reynolds first introduces her to us briefly. uh, But that book is indeed a masterpiece. That's the go-to source still to this day on John Reynolds. And uh, tip my hat, Mike Riley uh, in Gettysburg, born and raised in Lancaster, uh, did a wonderful uh, monograph on Reynolds in the 1990s um so so you've got that and I named several several others uh, Mary Maloney, a Hines but um, you know there's there's um a number that uh, really set the foundation Mary Maloney probably right after um the book was written on Reynolds toward Gettysburg by Edward Nichols. Mary Maloney who was a student down at uh Emmitsburg, at uh, school there, and she she does a project. I guess it appears and writes about John Reynolds and and Kate Hewitt, and so she uh, did a wonderful job. She stuff uh, was published in a number of places, the newspapers, uh, what have you. And uh, her work uh, was very well done. Um, but uh, there were there were gaps in the story despite all the efforts, and and uh, I'm extremely grateful to those that that laid the groundwork. And uh, again, was very fortunate to be placed in a position to be able to to close the loop on on Kate's story, the best of our ability. And and no one had known that she ever they knew that the poignant promise she had made to John Reynolds was that she would enter a religious life if he were to be killed during the war. And she follows through on that. She goes to Emmitsburg, Maryland and begins a process to become a daughter of charity and she'll uh, stick with it for a few years, but then had mysteriously disappeared. And uh, folks have been digging into why and what she did afterwards, and and it was known that she went into teaching on her own, but that was it. Uh, There was one thought that maybe she was from Stillwater, New York, and and lived out the rest of her life there, but we found that actually the Kate Hewitt um, did indeed leave the Dollars of Charity, Uh, She had uh, been on a mission uh, teaching school in Albany. She did teach on her own in Albany after that, but she married a young man, local florist there, Joseph Fort, and uh, they married. Uh, and uh, she spends a few years of uh, hopefully happy marriage with Joseph before she ultimately is going to pass away, um, succumbs to something that had been bothering her for years, a cough that appears, uh, in, and one of the cemetery records has indicated this was uh, tuberculosis back yeah. then. They want to call it consumption. I, but, would, uh,
0: there's, I would hate to be that guy. Uh, her, her, her husband... Say, who was your first fiance? Oh, yeah. I, I will do my best to try to live up to John Reynolds. That's I awesome. Did John Reynolds, yeah. how about that? <laughs> yeah, That's not exactly. happening, but okay. <laughs> you know, it's a, no. a lot to try to live up to.
1: And it was fortunate for us. There was a genealogy out there uh, on ancestry. Liz uh, Warner, who's a descendant of Joseph Ford, his second marriage and uh, she had indicated in there that his first wife uh, had been a cloistered sister and this that and the other and so you know there's some information out there that we could grab onto there and liz has been wonderful she was uh, really uh, a key part of the effort along with mary to um, make sure that we placed a stone a proper stone on kate's grave she's buried at saint agnes cemetery where most of the sisters from the daughters of charity are buried um, that were in Albany. And uh, it's fitting that she's there even though she had left the Daughters of Charity. But uh, she was in a family plot for the Fort family, but uh, she did not have her own individual stone. And uh, the cemetery records, uh, you go back to these records, it's a little difficult determining which grave she is in. So not knowing which actual a vault, if you will, she's in. We had to put in memoriam on the stone, but uh, it, all indications are from the primary source records is she is indeed in that family plot. And uh, we have the records to indicate actually that the day after she died, Joseph went to the cemetery and bought that plot of ground. Wow. Why else would he go there other than the passing of his wife? And, uh, great information on her funeral. And, uh, and the, the really interesting thing, other than, of course, the big story is uh, is Kate was extremely well known for her skills yes. in embroidery. <laughs> it's amazing and it goes back to John actually because she's uh, created a beautiful handkerchief for him with the coat of arms on it and never got a chance to give it to him and she gives it to uh, one of his aides who visits with the sister John's sisters who visited Kate in Emmitsburg. And she gave this handkerchief to Charles Vale and Vale kept it. And I was fortunately able to locate uh, the handkerchief, a uh, descendant of Charles Vale, a wonderful gentleman named Fred Vale, who uh, was the head of a museum out in uh, Arizona, Charlotte uh, Museum. They had the uh, handkerchief. So the handkerchief's in the book. Wow. But uh, Kate later on ends up becoming extremely well known for her skills. In embroidery, and uh, the best part of the story is the centennial exhibition in Philadelphia, 100th anniversary of our nation. Um, she has a banner for the state of New York on display there, with unbelievable embroidery work. When you read the accounts of uh, the journalists that comment on it, uh, it'll just uh, blow you away, and uh, it's so beautiful that she receives an award for it. And uh, it speaks volumes because you're talking about women, <laughs> you know, at that time weren't recognized for that many things. And the fact that there was a women's pavilion at the Centennial uh, Exhibition was remarkable. And the fact that she won an award is perhaps even more so. Uh, the sad and poignant thing is that that award uh, comes uh, as she passes. Yes. So um, uh, kind of a bittersweet end to uh, for her, I would say a bittersweet life. And make the point in the book, she is an amazing story of perseverance.
0: Now, uh, so many times having is, to start over, too, and to have our strength over. to start over.
1: Yes, yes. The internal fortitude to, to rise up time and time and time again. I mean, you know, she comes back, she uh, converts to Catholicism, and, and, and then John's killed and into the Daughters of Charity, and, and, and then that's not going to work out. And we go into that a little bit in the book. Why? But uh, that's got to start over again, you know, and now she finally marries and and then a couple of years of marriage and, and she's gone. So but uh, it's nice to have her story now and to be able to tie it to his story. And um, if 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 nothing else comes of it, if this story helps people remember what happened at Gettysburg, not just their story, but but the stories of all of those. Sacrifices, tragedy, heroism that took place at Gettysburg. I think it's a chance to fulfill uh, Lincoln's wishes. Yeah, exactly. And, and is, and that's, that's what we're looking for.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. Because it's it's that personal, it's that human interest story that you you talk about early on in your book. It's we think about the soldiers, the casualties, which a casualty is captured in action or captured during the battle, wounded or killed in action. Um. We don't think about that soldier who's been wounded having, you know, going home, being nursed back to health or never returning to battle. We don't think about the hardships they have during the rest of their life. Or we don't think, you know, sometimes when you're just reading about the battle or you're on the battlefield, you don't think about the fact that that's a, a son that's gone, a father that's gone, a brother that's gone. This shows that this was a whirlwind romance that occurs on a trip from California to the East Coast. And there's also a train ride in the middle across Panama.
1: Yeah, across Panama, exactly. And there's
0: this whirlwind romance that takes place where a man falls in love with a damsel that got herself out of distress. And if you know Reynolds now, by reading the book, you know that probably appeals to him. He probably likes somebody that goes and gets after it and can yeah. you know, help themselves it probably reminds him of himself in a way. And mm-hmm. they fall in love and they have these plans they were making for after the war, because the war, like for many people cuts plans short and they never come to fruition. And that happens for a lot of people during this war. And this is just one of those stories.
1: Oh yeah. Oh know. I've heard it said at Gettysburg, one of my colleagues, you go to the national cemetery there. And look at all those graves. And, and he always says the cure for cancer is right there. And what he means is, you know, so many lives snuffed out so early. Yeah. And unfortunately, wow. you know, you go to Arlington and say the same thing, of course, or any, any veteran cemetery, and these these lives, they were lost way before their time. And uh, oh, man. who knows what difference they would have made. And, and certainly you're right about on the home front what people have to endure. You know, you think about uh, when you watch. Uh, and see what's being done today, thank goodness. Thank goodness for, for our veterans, um, the wounded that have come home and trying to re uh, reengage with life. And uh, think about back then. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, they didn't even recognize something like the battle fatigue and then the prosthetics. In, well, in if which they had couldn't see what it. you
0: had, if, if they couldn't see that you were missing an arm or a leg or something, I mean, Chamberlain. Chamberlain. Joshua Chamberlain had issues with that.
1: Oh, absolutely!
0: Yeah, they couldn't I see mean, his he, injuries. So they didn't under you know really give him credence for you know what he had so, suffered for the rest
1: yeah. of his life, and, and in essence, died of, of his wounds in Petersburg. It's it's crazy. You're exactly right. Yeah, uh,
0: it's it's horrible. But so I told you I would keep you thirty to forty five minutes, and we're at forty six minutes. So I apologize for that. But one more question, if you don't mind, because mm-hmm, it's sure. you know it's a secret love affair. Um, mm-hmm. so this, the why it was kept secret? Cause it always seemed to me cause it's, you know, it's in the 1860s. It's not, you know, 1700s anymore. You know, and of course there was always that the story I always heard was, it was because she was Catholic and he was Protestant, but she hadn't been Catholic that long. now right, We know. Right. Why do you think it was well, a secret love affair?
1: That's a good question. And I think that, uh, if you think about this, so 1863, and you're right, she hadn't been a convert all that long. He's from Presbyterian family. So it made perfect sense that, that maybe, even though she hadn't been a Catholic that long, that the religion was a concern. Um, I, I usually tell it this way when I'm on the field with people that, you know, if you're going to write a letter home and tell the family that you're marrying this girl, if you haven't had a proper opportunity to introduce her, irrespective of circumstances, that's a little risky, especially when you're dealing with sisters. <laughs> I don't think that's changed <laughs> to this day. So you know, you want to introduce her uh, on your terms. You're going to let her home, and if you happen to mention, uh, she's Catholic, just converted. Well, right away they might be bristling. So <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's let, you know, let's take care of this the way we want to take care. Of. So you know, that has. Uh, for years been the belief is why it was a secret. Now, what we alluded to somewhat with Kate's experiences in California, uh, there's the big question. How much does John know about this? And does that play in his thinking? Uh, and I don't think we're ever going to know the answer to that unless some letters turn up somewhere that uh, between John and Kate.
0: Well, my question uh, is, do you think that he knew the sisters might have known something about it?
1: Do I think... What was
0: that again? Do you think the sister? Do you think he thought maybe the sisters might have known something? Like, would news of her notoriety have spread to the East Coast?
1: Yeah, no, you know, I don't think anyone. My suspicion is no one would have put two and two together in that regard. All right, I think uh, you can you can look at this. He was planning to introduce Kate to the family mm-hmm. on July eighth, and and he's killed, of course, yeah, on the on the first and um, July eighth. Yeah, I mean, you know, A week. And, uh, it's just incredible to think about that they are that close to the opportunity when he's going to introduce her to the family. And, you know, they're uncertain because it depends on what the army movements are and what have you. But that's the goal. And, uh, and, of course, it doesn't happen. And then you think about her struggling with the decision, you know, here she she has she has the West Point, ring. That's why it wasn't on it. Right. He yeah. it To her. Uh, she realizes she should consider returning that to the family uh, even though it means the world to her and and she does um but she must have struggled with how am I going to introduce myself you know and it's just again it took a lot of guts and she goes and she wants to see the remains and she does she grieves tremendously and the family the way they comment on her is so so sweet and kind and, and they open their arms and I'm sure John would have uh, been very pleased with the way they treated her. Uh, so, um, I think that it's a little uncertain to answer your question of what uh, this sheds new light on it on what yep. secret. But I think at the bottom line, he's he's going to wait and introduce her when he has a chance. And the war interrupts that. Uh, had there not been the war, it wouldn't have been a secret so long. You know? So, um, and I think there. I think the cool thing, Johnny, is that uh, people get the book. There are some amazing images in this book. Oh, yeah. I'm truly blessed to find some of these uh, the families. The descendants of Reynolds that I'm in touch with have been extremely generous. Um, the reason I have a picture on the cover of this book that no one's ever seen of Kate Hewitt is is the family. Um, the reason there's an image of John Reynolds' West Point ring in the book. Now, this isn't a photograph. This is an artist's impression. But I have a detailed description of the ring from the family and worked with the family and the the, uh, very well-known and wonderful artist Dale Gallen to create this artist's impression of the ring. It's the first time anybody's going to, in essence, see what his ring looked like. That's in the book. Uh, There are a number of images uh, in this book that are rare. Some great friends, my colleague and historian Sue Boardman, extremely generous uh, with photographs. And there's a photograph of Reynolds' family on the battlefield that's been around for years, but no one I don't think ever realized, Johnny, that, that Kate Hewitt's in that photograph. She's with the family. Jeez. And so we know that now. So there's some some cool things, I think, in the book. I try to look at it from the perspective of, it's not my book, you know. Am I going to buy that book? <laughs> I'd buy it on the pictures alone, you know. But uh, <laughs> hopefully there's a lot more there for people. And uh, And again, the goal is to share that story to help people remember the sacrifice that took place at Gettysburg.
0: It's been great. It's been a true honor to talk with you and to uh, talk about General Reynolds and Kate and to shed more light on this story that people have always known a little bit about and you've uncovered more of it and also just to share human interest story from the Civil War.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure, Johnny. Again, I appreciate the invitation. I sincerely appreciate your interest and i couldn't say enough good about history press They've been very kind to me and it's nice like you said to get this out there for people so i hope people that get the book um enjoy it appreciate it learn some things and uh, and, and remember and uh and i invite them to come to gettysburg and uh, see the battlefield if they've never done it see where john reynolds fell
0: Gettysburg's Lost Love Story will be available wherever local books are sold beginning February 7th, 2022 and is available now for pre-order on ArcadiaPublishing.com. As always, I want to thank Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project for the show's theme song. If you have questions, feel free to email me at Conversations at com. Thanks for listening and I will speak with you again soon.